right. Thanks. Christy? Now, um, Kaz, I've got a joke for you. A joke. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, about guidance. I was going to say, is it as good as a lot of the jokes that these guys write on communication cards? That's the oh, question. Right. It might be about as good as some jokes their fathers tell, perhaps. <laughs> but here, here it is. So a patient goes to a doctor and says, Doctor, doctor, I can't seem to make up my mind about what to do. And the doctor says, Oh, well, have you always had trouble making decisions? And the patient says, Well, yes and no. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Reese laughed, but he's paid to laugh. So, uh... <laughs> um, well, as a society, um, I think we are often paralysed by the choices that we have. In a famous TED Talk, psychologist Barry Schwartz outlined the challenges that we face as people who have so many different choices. I actually put a link to that talk on the EU Public Meetings Facebook page, so if you want to find that in Facebook then you can have actually listen to the lecture. Just think about all the different choices that you have to make every day. For example, if I asked you to send a message right now, you would have about 27 different options. <laughs> you could send a text, you could send an email, you could send a Facebook message, you could post it on your Facebook page, you could use WhatsApp, I don't even know what that is, in Instagram, Twitter, etc., etc. And you could even do the unthinkable and use your phone to actually make a phone call. Schwartz points out that as a society, we always thought that having lots of choices would give us greater liberty and that would give us greater happiness. Mm. However, what Schwartz reflected on, as he reflected on this issue of choice, he said there were two problems with this idea. Instead of making it us happier, it actually makes us sadder. And that's because, one, we get completely paralysed by having so many choices and options. And two, when we do make a choice, we feel like we kind of second-guess ourselves and feel like maybe the other choice would have been better. And so instead of being more happy, we're kind of more sad. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. It's one of the reasons, Kaz, why I, why I don't really like grocery shopping. Mm. So, you know, I've got my list and it says, buy milk. And uh, so I go to the milk section and there's like 50 different choices, right? So, you know, do I get Coles milk or dairy farmers or farmer's choice or perfection? Sounds like I should get perfection, really. <laughs> um, and then, you know, what type of milk do I get? Do I get light or full cream or extra fat and creamy or, like, light white? You know, what do I get? So it's stressful, isn't it? And it takes me ages to decide. And it's just cold in those milk aisles, uh, you know? Yeah, no, that is tricky. And don't even start me on tuna. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I think as Christians, there's a choice of how we make milk decisions, but there's even bigger decisions. And as Ben and I have talked about it, we've thought, well, actually, even as Christians, it sometimes increases the stress as it comes to making decisions because we actually want to make decisions that honour God and decisions that will see us do the most in the world that he has created. And so as Christians, we often have more pressure or feel more pressure as we make decisions. Yeah, I think I, I noticed that when I was chatting with a graduating student last year. Uh, as we talked about the options that she had in the future, she had you know, several all seemingly good options. She could do a ministry internship. She might have uh, been able to do another course in youth work, which was something she was interested in. And, or she could have um, 
yeah, maybe pick up some more work at the place she was working at part-time at that point. And I did, as we talked, I got the sense that she really did want to make what, whatever was the best decision in order to please God the mm. most yeah. for that decision. Yeah. Cool. So, as we talked about last week, we have a sovereign God and we have human responsibility, so we're free and we're safe. But how do we actually make decisions in light of God's grace and as people of wisdom? So Ben's going to kick us off and I'm going to um, finish it off, bring it home, and we're particularly going to think about how we apply wisdom and grace to decision-making and particularly think about choosing a job as a worked example. So over to you, Ben. Cool. Thanks, Kaz. Now, that so often is our reality, isn't it? Being feeling paralysed by choice, in the face of so many choices that we have. Uh, But what if, what if the Christian gospel truly is good news for us who are paralysed by choice? What if the Christian message really is a message of grace and freedom? What if in Christ God is pleased with us and no choice we make can make God love us any more or, or any less? What if life in Christ means the freedom to make decisions without the pressure and fear of earning God's approval, of getting in his good books, of measuring up before him? Well, grace and freedom. Uh, from in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. If you do have a Bible, we will be uh, flicking around a little bit. Um, also, most of the verses, I think maybe all of them, will be coming up on the screen as well. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Grace. Grace, that's the foundational reality of the Christian life. Grace, God's gloriously rich grace, which he lavishes on us in Christ Jesus. God's glorious grace, which saw him bless us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, verse 3. Every spiritual blessing. We've got it all. In his grace, God holds nothing back, but he lavishes every spiritual blessing on us in Christ. God's glorious grace, which saw him choose us, Way back in eternity past, before he'd created anything, God chose us to be adopted into his family, verse 5, to become privileged children, to be brothers and sisters of God's eternal beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to share in his riches and his glory. God's glorious grace, a gift not grudgingly given, but freely, eagerly with pleasure and love, lavished on us. Verses 5 and 6. God's glorious grace, which saw him redeem us, free us from slavery through the blood of his Son. 
that our sins, our, our many sins, might all be forgiven. We're saved by God's glorious grace. We live in God's glorious grace. And so we choose by God's glorious grace. But I wonder if for us, sometimes in making decisions we lose sight of this and we try to win God's favour with our decisions. Is this at least in part what's behind our paralysis in the face of choice? Are we trying to please God, earn his approval, win his favour by making the best decision? Often I think we're struggling to please our parents with our choices that we make, trying sometimes desperately to earn their favour, win their approval through our choices. It might be what what you choose to study or perhaps who you'll marry or just the choices we make about what we do with our time and money. And I think sometimes this carries over into our relationship with God, into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We think we need to try to win his approval, please him, through our choices, our decisions. Well, if that's you at all, then the wonderful, or as Kaz would say, the flipping good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that in Christ we're free. We're free from having to please God in that way. For his righteousness is ours. His death for our sins is ours. His resurrected life is ours. And God the Father's approval of his Son, well, that's ours too. No decision you make can make God love you any more or any less. For in Christ, you're God's precious child, freed by his grace and love, to live in his grace and love, assured of his grace and love in Jesus. And as God freely lavishes his grace on us in Christ, God's grace gives us real freedom, freedom to make choices, confident of God's approval his favour towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, in a very real sense, God doesn't care what job you do, you know, whether you choose to be an artist or an engineer. But God does care about how you work, how you, how you treat the people you work with. In a real sense, God doesn't care whether you work for Microsoft or Apple That's hard to believe, isn't it? But I don't think God really cares. You can work for Microsoft or Apple. But he does care about your motives in choosing. Was it ambition or service? Pride or humility? Greed or contentment? And in a very real sense, God doesn't care which of his people you marry. But he does care about how you treat your spouse, your husband or your wife. By God's grace, we have real freedom to choose. No decision can make God love us any more or any less. But as God's children, God wants us to be like his son, to bear the family likeness, to serve like Christ as we live out the freedom he's given us by his grace. Uh, Kaz actually wrote an article uh, that's on the EU Grads Fund website about that TED talk we mentioned earlier about choice. 
And she put it this way in her article. I wonder whether the biblical answer to paralysis by choice is being thankful and living in grace. Being thankful for the choices and options that come from living in a rich and privileged environment where God entrusts us with real responsibility. Living in grace as we realise that God gives us real freedom to choose jobs and life directions without guilt or regret. It's grace that allows us to be free to make radical decisions with our lives. To serve others rather than serving ourselves. To sacrifice to the one that sacrificed for us. We're free in Christ to choose without guilt or regret. Secure in God's glorious grace to us in Christ. Grace and freedom. But we do still need to make decisions. So how then do we choose? Within the freedom Christians have in Christ, how do we choose? Well, within that freedom that God gives us in his grace, God gives us wisdom to decide wisdom. Now we're going to look here at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. So we looked at it last week. Uh, We're going to consider it again. Philippians 1, from verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Love abounding in depth of knowledge and insight. Now while Paul doesn't actually use the word wisdom here, I think this is the biblical concept he has in mind. A knowledge of God in his world, a deep insight into the structure of creation, the order that God's put into it, which enables effective love, a pure and blameless and righteous life like Christ to God's praise and glory. Now in a similar passage in um, Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 12, as he prays for the Colossian Christians, Paul does say that the knowledge of God's will comes through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He does use the word wisdom there. So again, it's so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. See, wisdom is what God provides to guide us to live in ways which please him in the freedom that he gives us in Christ. Now, in the Bible, wisdom has a moral element to it. In the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, you know, the books of Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes and Job, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is moral and it involves a right recognition of God and his place how great he is as our creator and judge and therefore how our attitude towards him should be one of solemn fear and and humble respect. So to cultivate wisdom we need to search the scriptures. We need to read, mark and inwardly digest God's word. Meditate on who God is and what he's done. Reflect on how wayward and sinful our hearts are and yet how mighty God's salvation is in Christ. We're to let the scriptures shape our thoughts and attitudes, our desires, so that they thirst after what is good and pure. Now Paul's prayer uh, to the Philippians testifies to this moral element too. Wisdom enables God's people to be pure and blameless. 
to bear the fruit of righteousness. And we saw that last week, to be Christ-like. But see, within this freedom that we have in Christ, and particularly in our situation, as we're thankful for all the choices that God's blessed us with, living as we do in such a wealthy and prosperous, a stable and, and largely just society, there is a place for wise discernment of what is best, as Paul puts it in verse 10 here. You know, even within the bounds of being pure, blameless and righteous. See, wisdom and discernment guide us uh, into, uh, you know, I guess they guide us when there are several options which all fall within those bounds of being good and pure and blameless. When none of the several options are clearly ruled out by being sinful and selfish. Wisdom involves recognising the way that God's world works perceiving the order and structure that God in his goodness has built into it. I think it's at least in part what we sometimes call experience. Uh, you know, what people sometimes gain from having seen and done much in God's world. The perspectives and insights that come uh, from living under the sun, as the author of Ecclesiastes puts it. Uh, much, of the, much of the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are the fruit of that reflection just on how life works in God's world. Insights like, well, if you're lazy, then you'll starve, generally. Um, so in Proverbs 10 verse 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. See, most of the time in God's world, that's just the way things work. Wisdom provides that discernment which shows which path to take. It informs the choices we make within the freedom God's graciously given us in Christ. Uh, Andrew Cameron, who wrote this book, um, Joined Up Life, which I would heartily recommend on this topic, is a book about ethics. But I think as we think about guidance, um, yeah, Christian ethics actually is a very helpful category to think in. So I recommend this book. Now towards the end of it, um, he writes this. I haven't wrestled with dilemmas because I don't think they, they best show how ethics works. In Christian thought, people are called to something better. We're called to become people who are wise, who can discern, who make canny judgment calls in the moment. Discerning, determining and testing are the practices of people who've learned to recognise things. These are difficult and frustrating ideas for us at first, particularly if we've thought that rules, rights, values or results are all we need. However, this is the language of an altered gestalt. Uh, Now, gestalt gestalt is a German word uh, referring to our inner interpretation of what happens to us. It's kind of like how how we process um, the world around us. However, this is the language of an altered gestalt, of wrestling with what's in front of our eyeballs, while remembering that not all is what it seems. See, making decisions isn't so much about a system of commands, values, you know, results, into which we kind of put all the inputs, all the sort of data, and then we, you know, turn the handle and, you know, bing, out pops your decision. I don't think it really works like that. It's, it's more about becoming the sort of person who is wise, who's discerning, who recognises the way that God's world works best 
in the light of where God is taking this world. As we saw last week, one day, renewing it all under Jesus Christ. So in a real sense, we ought to not ask, what should I do? But rather ask, what kind of a person should I be? Wise. But how do we become wise? You know, it sounds like a lifelong project, and in many ways it is. But how do we grow in wisdom? Well, first, we can pray for wisdom. You know, God does tell us to ask for wisdom. Uh, in James chapter one, uh, chapter one, verse five, for instance, James writes, "If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you." So do that. Ask. God for wisdom. But I think one of the ways that God answers this prayer often is to provide wise people for us to talk with. So seek wise counsel. Seek out wise, usually older Christians who have done life in God's world, fearing the Lord in faith, who have cultivated wisdom, wise perspectives on how God's world works. Often wisdom does come with age, negotiating many experiences in God's world in faith. Interestingly, the book of Proverbs is framed as a father's words to a young son, enjoining him to pursue wisdom, while at the same time sharing some of the wisdom that the father has gleaned from experience through the years. Now, sadly, in our often individualistic society, we're just not connected to all the wiser Christians. Um, who we know and trust well enough to, to talk through our decisions with. So perhaps in your church, you seek out people who are older and wiser. People who have lived under God for more years, seen more of life in God's world, fearing the Lord, and talk through your decisions with them. Or perhaps even here in the EU, look for older, wiser Christians, perhaps senior students or members of the staff team, the senior staff perhaps to talk through your decisions with. When I was in Bible college in my fourth year, I was on a mission team that went to Bar Anglican Church. As we got to know some of the people in that church, I was greatly encouraged that there was one older man in particular who had deliberately sought out younger men to mentor um, and to share his wisdom with. Be humble enough to benefit from the wisdom of the wise. Well, within the wonderful freedom that God gives us in Christ by his grace, wisdom helps us discern what's best, the best ways to love, in the light of the way God's world works. So as you live in that freedom of God's grace, well, search the scriptures that you might become wise living under the sun. Pray for wisdom. Seek wise counsel. And then prayerfully move forward. Uh, our Kaz is going to come up and help us uh, drill down into how that works out in our lives. Thanks, Kaz. We're going to have a question time um, in a few minutes, so um, you might like to kind of put your questioning brain on or um, maybe you've got one from listening to Ben and um, we'll be happy to answer them or give it a go anyway in a little while. Um, so where are we? Jesus has given this incredible grace and incredible freedom And we don't need to live our lives just trying to win God's approval. We choose by grace. We make choices that are absolutely free and absolutely safe 
in order to serve Jesus, in order to love others and in order to serve our world. And we need to be people who are growing in wisdom and in discernment. But how do we get past the paralysis? The paralysis? You still have so many choices and lots of pressure on those choices. And it's not just the milk choices, right? It's real life choices. Well, I think one of the reasons why we get paralysis is because we're part of the most privileged generation of all time, of all history. We have an overabundance of choices and we think that we can have it all, the best perfect life. I want you to think for a minute just about the choices that you have to make versus the choices that your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents might have got to make. My grandfather was born at the beginning of the 20th century. He left school at 16 and became a merchant sailor. He had responsibility for his widowed mother and his younger siblings. And so from the age of 16, he was the breadwinner for his family. He didn't have the choice to study further, even though he was a smart guy. He didn't have the luxury of taking off some time for a holiday or a trip overseas. He needed a job, and so when he was offered one, he took it. He waited eight years to get married because that was when he could afford to care for his family and provide for a wife, and he would face two world wars and a depression. And the other thing is that even if you were born in another part of the world today, your choices would be very limited. Your only real choice today would be how you could work hard enough to get enough money to be able to pay for dinner and feed your family for that day. I think we are the most privileged generation ever. Most of you will not start work until your mid-twenties and when it comes to your choices, the world's your oyster. The only thing you're limited by really is your imagination. You'll have time off to travel. You can take some space to find yourself. And as a nation, we are stinking rich. We live at peace and we have a complete abundance. So we think we can have it all. So our starting point as we start about to think about choices is that we need to be thankful. Thankful that we have good choices. Your abundance of choices comes from rich blessing from God. And remember, with huge blessing comes much responsibility. And paralysis, or refusing to make a choice, is not what God wants for us. He wants us to have the freedom to make choices. He wants us to make wise decisions and he wants to move forward. He wants us to move forward, not to get stuck or paralysed, but instead to be people who prayerfully move forward. So how do we do that? Well, Ben and I have sort of four tips and at one level they're not steps because all, at least the first three kind of all happen concurrently or at the same time, which actually means the same thing, but anyway. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so we need to search the scriptures, we need to seek wise counsel, we need to pray for wisdom and we need to prayerfully move forward. As evangelicals, we believe that the scripture is the living and active word of God for us. He speaks through his word. He reveals his big plans for the universe. But the Bible is not a textbook. You can't simply flick to the chapter on dating. 
or the chapter that tells you whether you should be a nurse or a butcher. Is anyone making that choice at the moment? No. Um, scripture is different to that. Instead, it, its um, purpose is to change us and to transform us to be more like Jesus. It allows us to not be conformed or shaped by what our world or society has to say, but instead it transforms our minds to be more and more like God. And we need to delight in scripture. We need to have it written on our hearts. We need to have our thoughts and our lives aligned to God's purposes and thoughts and plans. That's, that's what it means to be wise and to live wisely. It's not just a decision-making formula but instead it's something that you grow in as you become wise and as you become more like Christ. The second thing we need to do is seek wise counsel and Ben's already talked a little bit about it. However, I think it's a step that we kind of miss. We, we firstly miss it just because we're so massively individualistic and we believe that our decisions are ours alone. We rarely think about the fact that we're part of a community part of a Christian community, part of Jesus' family and that our our decisions are not just ours to make but instead ones that we should be making together. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man listens to advice. See, I think we're often good at asking people to pray for us as we make decisions But I think we don't invite people to actually speak into our lives and to give us wise advice. More often than not, we make decisions entirely by ourselves and then we kind of tell people in sort of order to get them to give us the thumbs up or to kind of assure ourselves that we've made the right decision. That's not actually seeking wise counsel. Wise counsel is inviting people to really tell you what they think you should do friends and elders who know you and who love you and and know what you are like. We are to draw on each other's wisdom rather than just bump alongside inside our heads. And we need to pray and then make decisions. My suggestion is that as we pray, we don't particularly ask God what we should do. Should I be a butcher or a nurse? Instead, We need to ask for wisdom and for understanding to make good choices. Pray for good motives in your decision making. Pray that you won't make selfish choices but you'll make decisions to love and serve others. Pray that you'll be able to trust God in the midst of not knowing what your future holds and in the midst of difficult decisions. And pray that you don't make decisions simply based on fear but instead confident of God's good love and grace to you. And then prayerfully move forward. Make a decision. Do something. Because we are entirely free and entirely safe as we think about our future. Now, it may be that you receive a vision or a prophecy or a word, but I don't believe that the New Testament promises that for all of us in every decision. And if God does give you a dream or a word or a prophecy, then it needs to be tested by scripture, through wise counsel and by prayer. Okay, so let's do a worked example on radical wisdom on choosing a job, which no doubt many of you will need to do in the next little while. 
So our first step is to think about searching the scriptures. At one level, there's heaps and heaps of freedom here. Although there's also some things that are immediately off the table. Prostitution, being a hitman, cat burglary, bushrangers. I wanted to be a bushranger when I grew up, but the Bible unfortunately rules it out. I also can't ride a horse, which seems key. (laughs) So there's some things that are clearly ruled out. But then you need to do the harder thinking of thinking about wisdom and biblical principles. Things like, you do need to work if you're able. You can't simply bum off your parents and surf. You have a responsibility to care for your family and to provide for them. You need a job that doesn't oppress the poor or rip off widows and orphans. You need a job that enables you to get to church regularly and be part of a Christian community. Uh, My first job when I left uni was working at a bookshop in Bondi. I trained as a secondary teacher and was offered a job teaching in the western suburbs of Sydney. Uh, For me, that would have meant a couple of hours travelling each day and I was really invested in my local church. I was running the youth group and looking after a Bible study group during the week and teaching Sunday school. And as I started to think about what it would be like to be a first year out teacher and to be travelling four hours a day, I began to realise that that would massively reduce my ability to be able to serve in my local church. So I made a different choice. I decided to work in a bookshop, which gave me Friday off in order to get ready for youth group. And just so you don't think my 20-year-old self was overly pious, I also worked out that books smelled a whole lot better than hot teenagers on a hot afternoon. The second thing we need to do is to seek wise counsel. We need to talk to our friends and elders in your Christian community and ask them what kind of things they think you would be good at as you think about work. Ask them what things they think you will love. Ask them what will allow you to serve Jesus best. And listen to what they have to say. Are you a people person or could you sit all day in an office? Are you, do you like structure or are you terrible and want creative freedom? Ask them those kind of questions and listen to what they have to say. Listen to them when they probably tell you you can't start as a CEO and may need to start at the bottom of a ladder. Now, their advice needs to be weighed up, but we need to invite others in and we need to listen. I remember when I had to make a decision between uh, a decision to leave a job uh, that I loved and to come and serve here in the EU. I remember it was a massively hard decision. I felt really lost. I loved the job I was doing, but felt for various reasons it was time to move. And I also um, felt utterly lost in my decision. I was actually anxious about leaving, but I was anxious about going somewhere else as well. And I remember good friends and and elders who got alongside me and helped me make a decision. My friend Jess and I used to have butcher's paper sessions when we'd roll out butcher's paper and dream of different jobs and possibilities and opportunities that lay ahead. I remember having different coloured textures for pros and cons on each one. And we would drink coffee and eat chocolate. And as she asked me questions, that helped it become clearer what I wanted to choose. 
At the same time, another friend, Graham, who was a bit older and wiser than me and was at the time a senior staff worker at the EU, took me out for coffee a couple of times. He asked great questions. He challenged my fears. He helped me work out what things I was good at and what things I loved. And together he helped me work out that the EU would be a great opportunity for me to serve with the gifts that God had given me. It was, incredibly, it was incredible to be counselled by wise friends who knew me and loved me. It was also at times incredibly humbling as they told me some truths about myself. But it was also an incredible provision that taught me the best decisions are those made amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ. And pray. Pray for wisdom and for discernment. Pray that you would not make a decision for a job based on fear. What if I can't do this? What if I stuff up? What if, what if? Pray that you would not make a decision based on pride. Won't everyone be impressed by this job? Or I couldn't possibly do that job. That's not very impressive. Pray that you might use the interview well, that they might see what you are really like and you might see what they are really like. And pray that you will make decisions based on faith and hope and love, not on the praise of others, not on the fear of failure, not on selfish ambition. Then make a decision and prayerfully move forward. So we can fight paralysis by using radical wisdom. We don't need to sit around for a sign or wait for a confirmation. Instead, we entrust ourselves to a good God and make decisions freely and in grace for him. You use radical decisions, you can use radical wisdom to make radical decisions to the glory of Christ. Absolutely free and absolutely safe to be ambitious for his plans for the world. And you have the freedom to serve Christ sacrificially and to make incredible life-changing decisions for him. How about I pray for us? Loving Heavenly Father and Sovereign God, we thank you that with you we are absolutely free and absolutely safe. We thank you that you entrust to us decisions to make about our lives and we thank you that you allow us to do that freely. We pray that you would help us to be people who aren't paralysed, who aren't stuck, but instead that you might help us to move forward, to be people who know your word and love it, that we might be people who are obedient to your instructions in your word. We pray that you might help us to be um, involved in communities and seek wise counsel from those around us. And we pray that we might be always be people who are dependent on you, who take all our plans to you in prayer. And we pray that in doing those things, you would enable us to do great things for you and to the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, Ben's going to come back up and... If you have questions, you can stick your hand in the air and um, we'll endeavour to answer them. Oh, yeah, I can plug my book while you're thinking. Um, one of the books um, that we found these two books really helpful, Joined Up Life by Andrew Cameron that um, Ben spoke about. And this is a little one. It's kind of easier to read. It's just on guidance. It's called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. He's a university pastor in the US and I thought it was a really helpful, clear, fun-to-read book. 
Any questions? Simon. Um, what's the thing when the when it feels like we're kind of almost helpless and she's like being shooting? Yeah. Um, so do you mean we make the bad, wrong choices or bad choices? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's hard, isn't it, trying to make decisions or regretting the decisions that we made? I mean, I think there's two things there. The first is that um, none of our decisions take us outside the plans of God. And so God works through sometimes even our really dumb, foolish, stupid decisions. And I find that incredibly liberating and, um, you know, his grace to me. I think the second thing is... Um, to keep um, realising that God, by his spirit, enables us to make good decisions and having confidence in doing that, to not get stuck but keep trying to move forward, knowing that the spirit enables us to do that. You might have yeah. something yeah. yeah, and I think, um, you know, if on reflection you do realise that something, well, a particular decision you made wasn't the best one um, or was perhaps foolish rather than wise, perhaps God is actually teaching you then to next time make a wiser decision and that's the way he's you know, as he says he's using all things for our good to make us more like Christ um, yeah and I think it's a, largely growing in wisdom is, is a lifelong pursuit of you know, developing character and that's why I think that um, ethics is a very helpful way of thinking about it maybe even possibly better than the categories of guidance because ethics really talks more about developing that wise character and growing and learning from your mistakes so that, yeah, you do get better at making wise decisions and, as he said, canny judgment calls in the moment. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In terms of praying, about things, I think like you might have answered this, but just when people first come up with a question or like, oh, do you want to be involved in this <laughs> and the mm. automatic response is, oh, pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good good question. Do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah. You go first. Yeah, I mean, do we really mean just, oh, let me think about it. <laughs> but, you know, saying, let me pray about it, it sounds a bit more pious, <laughs> more acceptable. Um, what do I think about that? Yeah, I mean, maybe we just, if, if you do actually just one more time to think about it, then just say that, I think. <laughs> Might be better. But, I mean, prayer is, is right, but I think... I think often for us that that's an individual response. Like it really means let me prayerfully consider that. Perhaps, yeah. What we want to do is actually seek wise counsel and talk with some wiser people and pray with others um, about it as well. Yeah. Do you want to say? Anything? Yeah, and I think sometimes we over spiritualise because we can't say no. You know, so rather than saying. Look, you know, helping out at public meetings would be fantastic, but I'm just flat chat at the moment. Um, that's a hard thing to say. And so sometimes we kind of go, ah, oh, I'd love to, but I'll, I'll pray about it. And, you know, <coughs> which really means don't call, you know, <laughs> don't call me back. <laughs> um, and, you know, we use those codes. But I think, you know, again, it's where we're, as a community we want to have straightforward conversations and say, you know what, flat chat, can't do it. And, or, yeah, something like that. One of the questions that has come up this week is um, 
what if we do have two equally oh, good yeah. choices? And, and you mentioned in your part of the talk, um, you know, that you've ruled out that it's not selfish and it allows you to, to serve uh, Christ. How do you make decisions in the midst of those two choices? Yeah. Well, I think um, if, if they generally are equally and, you know, if we're seeking wise counsel and uh, praying for wisdom about it, they do seem equal, then, you know, have you got a coin, Cass? <laughs> no, like, and one level, you just have to, you have to make some decision and tossing a coin might be, you know, as good. And how do you use this in pastoral situations? <laughs> coin tossing. I was going to say, I don't know whether you've ever tossed a coin to make a decision. I sometimes use it as a pastoral trick. Sorry if I um, used it with you. Which is often when people feel like there's two equally good things is you, um, you get a coin, you say, all right, heads, butcher, tail, nurse. You flick the coin, down it comes, heads. You say, oh, well, there you go. Butcher? Which one did I make it? <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't listening. All right, heads, it's a butcher. And they say... I didn't want to be a butcher, I wanted to be a nurse. You're like, right, be a nurse. <laughs> or, and vice versa. So I think we need to keep being people who prayerfully move forward, who don't get stuck and who keep thinking, actually there's freedom to choose here and to do that confidently.